Well, on the virtual Bible study tonight, we want to have a Q&A with Jesus. Now, that sounds a little bit odd, Josh, that we could have a Q&A with Jesus because he's not here, obviously. But we want to develop that concept. Questions posed to Jesus, how would he answer? We can find that, I think. So that'll be our study tonight on the Virtual Bible Study, a Q&A with Jesus. Join us uh, for our weekly study coming up. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and this is the virtual bible study for thursday night july the 15th 2021 time is flying by the the year 2021 is already half over we're glad that you're joining us tonight on the virtual bible study obviously i'm not in my usual seat i'm in jacob's seat who's out of pocket tonight joining to help out is my good friend josh mccord he's sitting where i usually sit josh welcome to the virtual bible study thanks for having me it's good to be here and we've got kyle as usual running the control board kyle welcome it's good to be here. Thanks for joining. Thanks for being here and taking care of all the technical end of things. So, uh, as, as I suggested in our intro comment, it, it would it would be really neat, Josh, if you had a chance. Not, I mean, I think about it sometimes with all kinds of Bible characters. Wouldn't it be great to sit down with the Apostle Paul? Wouldn't it be great to sit down with Moses? Wouldn't it be great to sit down with Elijah or Jeremiah? But the ultimate of that would be. To sit down with Jesus himself and sure. be able to converse, ask him questions, get his answers. Right. And Jesus, of course, is the master teacher. And so we've got a lot of questions and he's he's provided a lot of answers. And, and I hope all of those who got our update today understood that we're making sort of a play on words here, Q&A with Jesus, because he's not here. Obviously, we can't personally ask him questions. But what's interesting is if you analyze it, there were a whole lot of instances in the life of Jesus where people asked him questions and he gave answers. And so that's sort of the way we're playing on terminology here. But we're going to look at a a, a number of places. There's so many of them. We may, and I think probably will, roll this over and, and deal with it next week as well. But so many times when Jesus was asked questions and, and he answered them, and that's what we want to look at. Yeah, it should be a good study. Yeah. So the the first thing that I want, and I, and I put this out to our update list earlier today. Uh, if you're not on our update list, get on it by sending us an email to questions at collegeu.com. Just say, add me to your list, and we will. And you'll get our weekly update on on Thursdays, uh, midday, telling you what our topic is going to be and giving you some questions that we hope to discuss. Now, we want to look at, I've got six different questions that Jesus was asking. We'll go to those one by one. But before we get to that, I wanted to sort of talk about what were some of the motives that led people to ask Jesus questions. You know, I think if we, Joshua, I think if we had that chance to ask him questions, we'd be legitimate and genuine right. and sincere. We have real questions and we really desire the answer. That wasn't always the case. Yeah, I, uh, I got a situation I thought of in Luke chapter 10 where a lawyer in Luke 10 and verse 25 says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So just the question is a good question, but the motive behind the question was one of trying to trick Jesus and see how he would answer and and see if he could, being a lawyer, see if he could catch him up in the law and see if he'd say something wrong. Exactly right. And and I think that's what a lot of people think of when they think of the questions of Jesus. That's because we know that his his enemies, the scribes and Pharisees in particular, were constantly challenging him, hoping they could catch him up in some situation whereby they could accuse him, either to defame him publicly or ultimately to even 
catch him in a in an offense that would be worthy of death. Now they they faked that at the yeah. end, but that's they, they always had a a very evil agenda. And the questions they posed to Jesus were often that way. Mohan in Chicago resu- responded to that question, and he said uh, some of the motives were to catch Jesus in saying something wrong, particularly by people like the Pharisees who did not believe that Jesus was God. And and that's clearly the case. That that that's definitely so. But. There were honest-hearted people who wanted information from Jesus. I'm thinking of Mark chapter 10, verse 17. In Mark 10, 17, when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, I think most of everybody will recognize that that's going to go on and talk about the rich young ruler who got the answer, but it wasn't the answer he wanted and went away sorrowful. But it seems that he was genuine in asking the question. He wasn't he wasn't one of those who was trying to entrap Jesus. And so what we're suggesting is diff, in different situations, uh, there there were. I guess different motives that people had. Uh, interestingly, because Jesus, uh, is and was the divine son of God and had, and had, you know, divine insights into the heart of people, uh, he knew what was in their hearts. Uh, Matthew chapter 21 verse 23 when he was coming to the temple the chief priests and elders people came to him as he was teaching uh, and asked by what authority doest thou these things now that's going to be the first question that we're going to go to uh, uh, the, the exact question they ask him what by what authority was he doing these things uh, Jesus wouldn't answer them because he could see the hypocrisy that was in them. He could see that. He, and, and he, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't deal with them on that level. So interesting that people who might ask us questions, well, we might not be able to tell for sure what, what, what are they getting at? What are they up to? But Jesus did. Right. Yeah. He knew the hearts of men and yeah. he knew what their, their intentions were. Yeah. Exactly right. Um, Grant in Franklin, Tennessee, says some of the motives of the people who asked Jesus questions were to challenge his authority when he was teaching, uh, to ask, to, to challenge his motives for associating with tax collectors and sinners, uh, uh, to test him, to, tra- to entrap him, but some sincerely wanted to know something, and I think that's exactly right. Uh, Kent in Georgia says the motives of the recorded questions asked of Jesus must be determined on an individual basis of the ones asking the questions. Some were truth seekers, honestly wanting to know truth regarding the questions that they ask. Others were dishonest in ta- attempting to trap our Lord by catching him in a logical contradiction that would put him in conflict with Old Testament teaching. He very skillfully answered all the questions. Those who were truth seekers were enlightened regarding the truth. Those who were dishonest were exposed as insincere opponents of God's truth. I think I think Kent's exactly right on that. You know, you really think about it. So you think about a, a politician today. Maybe think about our our, our most uh, recent president Trump. He was always being asked questions. And he didn't always do well. He, he, he I mean, sometimes he, he, he messed up the answer, uh, because they were trying to entrap him. And sometimes uh, he, he was not able to escape the trap. Uh, that wasn't the case with Jesus. They never did entrap him, although the best at it were, were his enemies, uh, but they were never successful in getting him to make a mistake. Yeah. So interesting that no matter what they're, uh, intention was he was able to perfectly answer and perfectly point the conversation in the right direction yeah. to point them toward truth, uh, and there was nothing obviously they had to bring up against him that so, was a legitimate claim. Exactly, and, and he was obviously a very public figure, and so he there was a lot out there. There was a lot of information out there because he was he was teaching and preaching all the time, and so they if they could have they they had plenty of opportunities to be able to parse every word that he said and catch him in a mistake. But he never made a mistake. And so at the end, what they had to do is lie about him. Right. Uh, and claim he said something or, or put a twist on something he said that was never intended so that they could you know, justify themselves in, in asking for his, his uh, crucifixion. 
Jesus was perfect. And, and obviously, uh, you know, when when we're talking about questions with Jesus, we're, we we got to keep in mind we're talking about an individual who was perfect in all regards. All right, let's go to some of these questions. And the first one that I sent out to our update list was, by what authority? Again, this comes from Matthew chapter 21. Let me read a little bit of that. When he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things, and who gave thee this authority? Now, stopping right there, Josh, I would argue that those were actually really good questions. I think so, too. And I think Jesus grants that it was a good question. Yeah, yeah. In other words, that's actually the kind of question that we ought to be asking. When people, in all regards of religious practice, we ought to say, by what authority are you doing that? Mm -hmm. And who gave that authority? So, you know, in our uh, bullet point update uh, tonight, we're going to talk, it's going to be a brief little thing about instrumental music. And so... Here's here's a religious group that uses instrumental music. Maybe they they do the whole praise team kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, and they have the full blown band up on the stage and they have their uh, fog machines and strobe lights and they really put on. And it would be, we we would love for them to answer this question: By what authority are right. you doing that? Right. And where do you find that authority? Who gave you that authority? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, sadly. In our day to day, people don't feel compelled to no. have authority. But on the flip side, we should be eager for them to ask, well, why do you not? Why do you in the Church of Christ not do yeah. that? We yeah. should be eager to say, well, we can show you. Let's try to show I, you. Actually, I think that's a good point. And, and, and we want to, we, we want to be able to give a Bible answer for everything that we teach and everything that we do. And, and, and to any extent wherein we're not able to do that, we're, we shouldn't be doing it. We shouldn't be doing yeah, it. Yeah. That's right. So again, uh, the chief priests, the elders of the people ask him, by what authority doest thou these things and who gave thee this authority? Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I in likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, he's talking about John the Baptist, the baptism of John, whence was it from heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And and he said to them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. So Jesus could see their hypocrisy and insincerity, and so he wasn't going to deal with them on that. Uh, but it's been pointed out so many times, this is a very familiar text, obviously, it's been pointed out so many times that Jesus, in the question that he posed, the counter-question that he posed to the chief priests and elders, he said, the baptism of John, whence was it from heaven or of men? Jesus actually said there are two authorities when it comes to religious practice. One is that God himself from heaven has authorized it. The other is that men have dreamed it up. And he said, and so, and so he asked them, you only gave them two options because it's only, there's only two options there are. Right. Uh, John's baptism did it come from God or did men invent it? Well, of course they, uh, we got, we got a problem here because if we say it's from God, he'll say, then why didn't you do it? But if we say it's from that it's just made up of men, the people will come after us because everybody thinks John the Baptist is a prophet. Uh, we, we can't answer that question. And so he's okay, I'm not going to answer your question either. Yeah. Well, you know, I think something stands out to me when, when reading these verses. Jesus, uh, he was always operating under the authority of his father. The things that he did was, was according to his father's will. And if Jesus had to operate under authority... Well, then what's, that, what's the implication is we've got to operate under authority. And uh, when he turned that question back around on them, uh, they didn't they didn't have anything to say. Of course, it was from heaven. And yeah. his authority also was from heaven. Exactly right. Uh, Kent in Georgia says the chief priests and elders were dishonest individuals who were insincere and did not want to know the truth regarding the issue. The question they asked, however, was a legitimate question regarding the concept of authority. The response of Christ was masterful in every sense of the word. He responded to their question by asking them about the baptism of John. The chief priests and elders realized that Jesus had them impaled upon the horns of a hopeless dilemma. 
I like the way they yeah, said that. Like Impaled that. on the horns of a hopeless dilemma. Regardless of how they responded, they would prove their dishonesty. This passage demonstrates the importance of demonstrating the fallacy of a false premise that underlies a question or the dishonesty of those who raise such questions. Good point. Grant says, Jesus referred the chief priests and elders back to John the Baptist, who was a prophet, and proclaimed that Jesus was the son of John himself had proclaimed Jesus was the son of God. Therefore, the chief priests and elders would have to conclude that Jesus' authority came from God if they had honest hearts. Jesus referred to a prophet of God in order to answer the question. So good, good, good thoughts there. Uh, again, that's a familiar episode in the life of Jesus, but really, the, now, here's our point in our study tonight, Josh. We we can't ask Jesus a question about authority. We talk about authority a lot. Right. We think it is so very important. We want to have Bible authority for all we do. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of or by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we, we feel a a duty, a deep sense of obligation to have Bible authority for all we do. And this this question that was posed to Jesus in the way that he dealt with it shows that he he would tell us, you be sure you have authority for everything right. you're doing. Well, I was thinking about Matthew 28 and verse 18. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, or all, or all authority. Um, King James renders it power. Uh, so Jesus has the authority. So, so as you said, uh, anything that we're going to say or do or practice, we need to find authority for it. By what authority do these things? Hopefully we can say, well, by the authority come from Christ. Exactly right. All right, we're going to grab a break, and when we come back, the next question we want to deal with is a question about forgiveness. How often should we forgive? We'll do that when we come back from this break. Stay right where you are, and we'll be back in a minute. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Here's a quick thought. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Proverbs 16:3. When we make God's plans our plans, we are promised success. Well, maybe not the way the world counts success. Remember, even Jesus went to the cross. Are you living according to God's plan? Let his plan be your plan. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. The storm also beats on the house that is built on the rock. It's not hard to make decisions when you know what your values are. When it comes to giving, some people stop at nothing. The unselfish effort to bring cheer to others will be the beginning of a happier life for yourself. Man, wish I'd said that. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the Virtual Bible Study. We're having a Q&A session with Jesus. Again, I hope everybody understands the, sort of the play on terminology that we're making there because we can't. Obviously, You know, there are people, unfortunately, Josh, who think that they can talk to God or talk to right. Jesus and that he gives them you know, yeah, they receive some kind of revelation. special revelations. You know, God told me this. He whispered in my ear or he gave me a sign. We don't believe that God's communicating or Jesus right. is communicating in that way anymore. And I hope everybody that got our update and is listening to the program tonight understands. We're looking at questions that we know Jesus was asked and the answers we know he gave. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, the Holy Spirit revealed answers to us, and yeah. it was written down so that we yeah. can read it and study it. Exactly right. All right, so the next question that we want to deal with that was posed to Jesus comes from the Apostle Peter. Peter came unto Jesus and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now, that's from Matthew chapter 18, uh, verse 21. I think, as I've considered that passage, Josh, I think that... Peter probably thought he was being pretty magnanimous there. You know, yeah. I, I, my brother will sin against me. I give him seven. Yeah, I really seven. only don't want to do once or yeah, twice, yeah. but I'll say seven you know, for good Yeah, yeah. I, and I'm, I know they didn't have baseball back then, but, you know, sort of the yeah. three strikes and you're out. <laughs> right. uh, three would surely be enough. But no, Peter was going to be better than that. Yeah. Seven times, you know. Uh, and, and, of course, Jesus' answer to him was, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. So 
70 times 7 would be 490. Actually, I'm sure that Jesus didn't mean keep keep a tally right. running. And when you get to 491, you don't have to forgive anymore. Yeah. Uh, no, he was just saying endlessly, whenever, uh, uh, until 70 times 7. So, uh, again, basically saying we ought to be willing to forgive uh, as many times as it takes. Uh, in, in Luke chapter um, 13, uh, uh, seventeen. Luke chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus said, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Now, I think that that concept needs to be factored into this business of repentance. Jesus wasn't saying just unilaterally extend forgiveness. It doesn't matter whether the guy has repented or not. You just you just offer a blanket forgiveness, constantly forgiving unilaterally. Really, that's not taught in the Bible. A lot of people have that idea, but that's not taught in the Bible. This idea of unilateral forgiveness before a person even seeks to be forgiven or repents of the wrong that they've done. Now, I believe we should be always ready to forgive and constantly hoping that we can develop the scenario wherein that forgiveness can be extended. But I'm of the opinion, and we've talked before on the virtual Bible study, I'm, I'm of this strong conviction that you really can't forgive someone who doesn't seek it and who yeah. hasn't repented. Well, I think forgiveness is a two-way street. You know, there's forgiveness is extended only after repentance has been made. Yeah. You know, and, and every effort should be made to, when when your brother comes to you and lets you know you've wronged them, then I need to try to repent of that. I need to work to show, you know, the fruits of repentance, and then forgiveness can be extended. But yeah. as you're right, you yeah. can't just, I'm going to give my forgiveness to you How without you- repentance. Forgive someone who has not asked for it. Yeah. Though I mean, that's the thing. It's I think you, it's technically impossible. Your, your hand is right. reaching out. Yeah. To extend that, but until they grasp it and forgiveness, then you can't. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Kyle. Yeah, I agree. You know, uh, Ephesians four verse thirty-two says, "Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you." So we're to forgive like God forgives. Right. How does God forgive us? When we repent on, on his terms, when we seek, yeah, when we right. seek, seek, you know, uh, the, 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 the quibble is often made that Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so they, it, it is suggested there you see Jesus just offering a blanket forgiveness. That is actually not the case because those same people mm-hmm. were present on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. And when they said to Peter, what shall we do? Peter didn't say. Well, you've already been forgiven. Don't worry about it. He said, repent, be baptized for the remission of sins. So they still had to repent. So, again, Jesus said, forgive endlessly. And certainly he teaches the the concept of readiness, anxious to forgive. But forgiveness can only be extended when someone literally seeks it. Yeah, I think it just maybe sounds good, the the philosophy of men sounds. Forgiveness is for you. It makes you feel better if you forgive. But... But again, going back to our first question, we've got to we've got to do things under the authority that we've been given, and forgiveness is something we're commanded to do. But we can't just yeah. just forgive without repentance. Yeah, you know, in that text where Peter said is seven times enough, and Jesus said no, do it four hundred ninety times. He goes on to teach, I think, one of the most poignant parables of all about the unmerciful servant. So the unmerciful servant, he owed an inconceivably large debt to his master would never be able to pay, and the master forgave him of that debt. And he went out and found a fellow servant who owed a, a lot, but it was actually a manageable debt. He, he could have worked it out, but the unmerciful servant wouldn't give him the time to do it, had him cast in prison. When the original master found out about that, he was irate, and he yeah. he threw that unmerciful servant into the prison. Uh, and and I think the, the, the such a easy parable to picture the master is God. We're the ones who have this unpayable debt, that, but right. he's forgiven us. That being the case, I ought to be really ready to forgive you because you haven't nearly wronged me like I've wronged God, and God forgave me. I should forgive you. Right. You know, I think maybe there's this idea that, uh, you know, since since forgiveness should be offered to me in, you know, an unlimited amount of times, then I can take advantage of that, and I can yeah. just keep wronging you and say I'm sorry. But but I think repentance is so key to it. You know, Paul talked about godly sorrow that leads to repentance. 
there, there's got to be some effort made to repent on on my part if I've done the wrong. Then you should be ready, willing, and able to offer forgiveness once exactly. I've repented. Exactly right. Uh, Kent in Georgia says, Peter had a sincere question to, to which Christ responded. He demonstrated that the importance of true forgiveness must be without limitation. However, Luke 17.3 also demonstrates that it's impossible for scriptural forgiveness to be extended without repentance. I think you're exactly right, Kent. Uh, Grant says, there is not a number to how many times we should forgive our brother given that he repents. Luke 17, verses 3 and 4. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. I think that's good. I appreciate Grant tying in verse 4 with Luke 17, 3. Luke 17, 3 and 4, again, teaches the idea that repentance is necessary. But if my brother is willing to repent, I should be willing to forgive him as many times as he repents. All right. Good question. Uh, let's see. Maybe we got time to squeeze in one more here quickly or at least get started discussing. The next question that we have is... Will only just a few be saved? In Luke 13, verse 23, Luke 13, verse 23, someone asked Jesus, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? Uh, and, and so, uh, Jesus is, is dealing with a question there. Uh, again, that's Luke 13. That really is on the minds of a lot of people today. How many people are going to see? Are, are everybody going to be saved? Most people going to be saved? Or is it really so that only a few are going to be saved? Um, notice how Jesus went on to answer this. Again, this is Luke chapter 13. The question is in verse 23. Jesus says, verse 24, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Uh, when once the master of the house has risen up and hath shut the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer, say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I know not whence you are. Depart from me, all ye that work iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, uh, Jesus' answer to the question actually is, yes, there are just a few who are going to be saved. And that being the case, then you need to work hard to be among that few, verse 24. You need to be careful not to procrastinate your preparation, verse 25, because he's going to come and shut the door on you. Uh, and there are going to be some people who are really going to be surprised. Because as, as you see there in that text, they say, well, Lord, you know us. We ate and drank with you. He said, no, I never knew you. Right. Because you work iniquity, lawlessness. You weren't right. following You weren't following my law. Yeah, so so I guess the parallel passage would be in Matthew 7. Uh, yeah. Verse 13 of Matthew 7 says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So there specifically, yeah, there's few that's going to find the that path that leads to life. Exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, Kent in Georgia says, the question raised was a legitimate question, and the response of Jesus in Luke 20, 13, beginning verse 24, demonstrate that the majority of accountable humanity by their own personal choice will be lost in eternity. You know, that's a hard truth. Uh, and, and a lot of people just not willing to accept that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's plain Jesus's words, but that's not right. us saying that. Right. That's the plain words of well, Jesus. It's not like we're excited about it. No. We think that's, that's just wonderful. No, I mean, we don't want that to be the case, but that's what, that's the truth that Jesus yeah, stated. Yeah. And, and, and if we accept the truth of his answer, then we should strive to enter in, as he said there in verse 24, because it's, it, it's, 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 it's not like falling off a log. You're going to have to work at this. You're going right. to have to put forth effort. You're going to have to obey the will of God. And uh, a lot of people are just not willing to do that. But they want to be saved anyway, yeah. even without obedience. Um, Grant says, there will be many people surprised on the last day that they are not able to enter the narrow gate and be saved. And there are some saved in this age who are uh, who are last, who will be first in the age to come. There are some saved in this age who are first, who will be the last in the age to come. All right. So, and Grant is expounding a little bit more upon the text 
in, in which Jesus gives that answer. So, uh, again, it's not a, it's not a thing that people really like to hear. Jesus gave the answer. That's not our answer. And, and, and I'd be willing to argue that if it was left up to us, we might do differently. But it's not up to us. It goes back to that first question about authority. All right. We're going to grab a break, uh, do our bullet point. Uh, when we get back, we're going to look at a question. Why do you associate with sinners? Jesus was asked that. We'll talk about that real quickly uh, in the chat room. Dwight in Iowa says forgiveness. Back to the forgiveness question. Forgiveness is to be done as many times as, as a repented sin takes place. And we need to always have the attitude to forgive. And I think that's the key. A lot of people, when we teach this idea of, you know, conditional forgiveness, they, they, they would accuse us of holding a grudge or seeking vengeance. And, and that's not the case. Uh, to any extent that that's true, it's wrong. And, uh, and we need to repent. That's not the case. We're just trying to follow the biblical pattern there on forgiveness. Okay, when we come back from this break, we're going to ask the question, why do you associate with sinners? That's what a question that Jesus was asking. We'll see how he answers when we come back. Stick, stick with us as we continue the virtual Bible study. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's Word taught every Thursday night. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. Frequently, we're asked about our practice of observing a cappella music in our worship services. Folks are curious. They want to know why we don't have instrumental music. Our practice is different. We're not like the majority of other religious groups. What is the reason? People really want to know, so they ask, why don't you use instrumental music? With no intention to be flippant, we might very well respond with a counter-question. Why should we? That's fair, isn't it? Those who think that instrumental music is right and proper ought to be able to tell us why they think so. When we ask this question, the typical responses are these. First, we really like instrumental music. But be careful here. Remember that our goal is to please God, not men, not even ourselves. Galatians 1 verse 10. Well, everyone else is doing it. Anyone who thinks this proves the real acceptability of a thing needs to be reminded that Jesus said the majority of people, even the majority of religious people, will be condemned in the day of judgment. Read Matthew 7, beginning at verse 13 through verse 23. Some say, well, God gave certain people musical talents, and they ought to be able to use it. If this logic works, then the fellow who is a talented mechanic should be justified in rebuilding a car engine during the worship services as well. And the surgeon who wants to glorify God could do an appendectomy before the assembled congregation. Surely we can see the flawed thinking behind this argument. Well, someone says, they used instruments in the Old Testament. And of course that's true, but we're no longer under that law. Colossians 2, verses 14 through 16. We need to find our authority in the New Testament, and there is none. In the final analysis, everything we do religiously must be based upon the authority of the Lord. Colossians 3:17. If we cannot defend a practice by appealing to the scriptures, then we ought not to do it. There is simply no New Testament authority for the use of instrumental music in our worship. And that settles it. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And we're back on the virtual Bible study. Again, this is the virtual Bible study for Thursday night, uh, July 15th, 2021. We want to remind you that the virtual Bible study is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. We encourage you to find out more about the College View congregation. You can go to our website, collegeview.com. There's a lot of resources there. Uh, our parallel site is the virtual Bible study, uh, dot com. So we got two, we got two linked websites there. But you can find a lot about the College View Church uh, at collegeview.com. There's a lot of resources there. And you can find a link to our YouTube channel, separate channel from the virtual Bible study that you're watching now. But, Kyle, we've got College View live stream. So if you're looking for that on YouTube, just to put in College View. Remember, College View spelled funny. College View, C O L L E G E V U E. College View live stream, and we got a bunch of resources there, Kyle. Absolutely, a lot of a massive amount of stuff you can add to your Bible studies. That's always a good uh, good thing to add to it. Typically, you, you, we'll have. Two Bible studies a week that are on there and two sermons a yeah, week. So, so every week there's about, there's four different 
pieces of content that are added in a typical week. And we got, we've got, uh, and, and Kyle is good to kind of put these things together in playlists. And so, especially in our Bible study uh, periods, uh, right now we're, we're studying Hebrews on Sunday morning and we're studying the prison epistles on Wednesday night. And, and you can find those studies and hopefully be benefited by listening to those. But we, we encourage you to check out collegeview.com. Of course, if you're in the Middle Tennessee area, we want you to come in person, and we'd love for you to visit with us. We're on the west side of Columbia, Tennessee, right across from Columbia State Community College. Columbia State Community College is the largest community college in the state of Tennessee, and we are literally right across the highway, uh, and thus the name College View. Uh, but uh, we, uh, easy to find. There's signs all over the area giving directions to Columbia State Community College. And if you follow the signs, you're going to find us, too. It's kind of interesting that they put signs out. The state has put out signs in our benefit. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way, but that's true. (laughs) All right. So we're continuing to look at some questions that were posed to Jesus and the answers that he gave. And so our little play on words tonight is that we're having a Q&A with Jesus. Obviously, he's not here in person, but we do have a lot of questions that people ask him. And we see the answers that he offered in response. All right. So the next question we want to deal with is one that Jesus was asked in Luke chapter 5 and verse 30. In Luke chapter 5, verse 30, the, the scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? So this was a question that wasn't exclusively given to Jesus, but Jesus is going to jump in and answer that. But it was actually posed uh, to all of his working group, uh, Jesus and his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? I, I guess... I think surely most of the people who are listening to us uh, on this understand that the publicans were the tax collectors. But when you think about collecting taxes, remember who they were collecting taxes for. They were collecting taxes for the Romans. The Romans, the Roman Empire ruled this this part of the world, almost all of the world at that time. And and so taxes had to be paid to Rome. And uh, these publicans were sort of seen as turncoats. Uh, they were not well thought of because they were collecting taxes from the Jews. They were Jews collecting taxes yeah. from the Jews to send to Rome. I understand there was also a real corrupt system in place uh, that was just ripe for corruption. The idea was that you actually, if you wanted to collect taxes, Josh, you would you would bid on the job, and so here's here's this particular geographical area. I don't know how I don't know how big it would have been for a given tax collector, but you know. So here we are in Murray County, Tennessee. Maybe maybe you're you want you want the tax concession for Murray County, Tennessee, and so you t- you you make a bid. I believe that I can raise five million dollars in taxes right here in Murray County. Well, you get the high bid. Nobody else said they could do it. Everybody else thought they could maybe get some, but not that. You get yeah. the bid. So you get the bid. And so you're obligated to pay to Rome. You're obligated to pay $5 million. <laughs> but anything you collect over that, you can put in your own pocket. And so that's what they did, and they were extremely corrupt in that in that endeavor, uh, and the and the Jews hated them for doing it. First of all, because they were traitors to Rome, but secondly, because they were really robbing the people. Yeah. So these publicans would have been the absolute last people that you would have spent time. I don't with want. And I don't with. want anything to do with nasty people like that. Right. That's what. That's basically the opinion. Yeah. And then, of course, the but notice, and usually the publicans were lumped together with sinners, publicans right. and sinners. They were a, a they were an awful breed, the publicans in in the Jewish mind, and they were equivalent to sinners yeah. at large. Well, do you think that some of this too may have to do with the fact that Jews, you know, weren't accepting Jesus? You know, they they thought that he should come, and you know, if you're going to be a king, then you're not going to associate with with these type of people. You're going to associate with the really 
uh, high religious leaders and political leaders of the day, and, and Jesus was the opposite of what they were expecting. Yeah. So don't you think that that may play a part in it as yeah. well? Yeah, yeah. So w- the, the scribes and Pharisees would say, we stay away from these people. We stay aloof from these people. We don't have anything to do with these people. And we don't think you should either, basically, is what they were saying. Uh, Jesus answered, and, and his answer is well known. Verse 31, Jesus answering said to them, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so Jesus basically said the reason he was in contact with these people is the same reason a doctor sees sick people. You know, if, if you're not sick, the doctor doesn't need to see you. But the, but you need to be with the doctor, and the do, doctor needs to see you if you are sick. And he said, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with his people, these people for the same reason that a doctor deals with sick people. And, and that's a good answer. You know, we could be like, and, and I'm afraid sometimes we are, we're sort of like the Pharisees saying, ah, these people are, these people are sinners, and we don't really like what they, the kind of people they are. We're just going to stay away from, we can't do that. They are sin-sick people who need the message of salvation. And so in the same way that Jesus said, I'm dealing with these people because they they need a physician, they need us to, to provide the spiritual medicine for their sin-sickness. And, and we, we have to be like, we have to imitate Jesus in this and, and not act like we are better than these people to the point that we don't want to have anything to do with them. We need to associate with them so that we can share the saving message of the gospel. Yeah, I think you're right. And whether they realize it or not, they need the, to see the great physician. And we've got opportunity and obligation, command, actually, to spread the gospel to the whole world and yeah. make sure they have an opportunity to hear and know about it. Yeah. I think we should also point out, though, that, that Jesus' involvement with them was not for the purpose of condoning or minimizing their sinfulness. Uh, there wasn't there wasn't any sense in in which Jesus was saying, "Well, they're okay. We can just look the other way." There's sure they're sinners, but that's no big deal. We can just look. Jesus was always he always rebuked sin and he always taught against it. He always required and demanded that people obey God. Uh, so he, his involvement was, and this is another thing that we have to be careful about: our involvement with sinners should always be understood not that we participate with them or condone them in the sins that they're committing, but we're trying to teach them and urge them to do better. Right. Yeah, Jesus was always quick to say, go and sin no more. He didn't approve of what they did. Uh, but but in order to have contact with somebody to be able to teach them, you've got to be around them. And so Jesus was around people that were like publicans and sinners so that he could try to teach them and point them in the right direction. But as you say, he didn't go and participate and do what they do what they did. Now, there's another side to this coin, too. And and there's frequent admonitions in the word of God to be careful about the company we keep. Uh, evil companions corrupt good morals. First Corinthians 15, verse 33. Uh, and so and uh, lots. Uh, and we could just multiply the statements of Scripture saying, don't don't follow a crowd to do evil. Don't be in association with them in doing evil. And we should never think that we're so strong that we couldn't be tempted by sinful people to do sinful things. And so our association with them, as Jesus's was, should be specifically focused in getting them to do the right thing. Right. Now, I think that's a big point. Yeah. yeah I think that's true. Uh, he spent his time and he was focused about his father's business. He was about his father's business. You know, and so when they got together, uh, you know, I don't, we don't know. Uh, we may talk about sports or, or politics or whatever, but Jesus' number one focus was about kingdom things. Yeah. And so that's what ours You know, last be. week we talked about Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well. Right. And here was a very sinful woman. But and, but Jesus was not adverse to relating to her, associating, yeah. but he turned the conversation he quickly. That, he this. turned that physical thing into a spiritual conversation. Exactly right. Uh, Kent says here, uh, 
Let's see. This was an insincere question that was murmured against those who followed Christ and by implication against Christ himself regarding the concept of association. These insincere scribes and Pharisees falsely concluded that all association was equal to fellowship. While it is true that all fellowship is association, it is false that all association is fellowship. The Lord demonstrated the logical fallacy of that line of thought in his response in verses 31 and 32 where he said, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Uh, Grant says... uh, Jesus did not come to participate in the deeds of tax collectors and sinners, but to call them to repentance. And I think that's exactly right. All right, very good. Uh, let's see, where, where are we on time? Let's grab our last break. And when we come back from this break, we've got a couple more questions that we want to deal with. One is, which is the greatest command? And the other is also a tax question. Is it lawful to pay taxes? Jesus was asked those questions. We want to look to his answers when we come back to finish up the virtual Bible study after this break. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hi, my name is Bob Tidwell, and I want to remind you that the virtual Bible study provides a great opportunity to use your computer for something good. So turn off the TV and guide the family around the computer each Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A recent study asked regular church attendees how often they read the Bible outside of church. 19% answered every day, but 18% said rarely or never. About another quarter indicated that they read the Bible a few times a week and the rest answered occasionally. Interestingly, 90% of this same survey group said, quote, I desire to please and honor Jesus in all that I do, unquote. That information is via LifeWay Research. The Word of God says in Psalm 119, verse 97, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians three seventeen. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the virtual Bible study. We're, we're doing a little Q&A session with Jesus, looking at questions he was asked and answers that he gave. And one of the questions is kind of a, a very interesting one. Uh, the text, the primary text we're looking at is Matthew 22, beginning verse 34. There's also a parallel to that in Mark 12, beginning verse 28. One of the, one of them, a lawyer, by the way, we remember when, whenever that's talking about a lawyer, that's not talking about a lawyer like we think of a lawyer. That's talking about a guy who was knowledgeable in the law of Moses. He was a student and knowledgeable in the law of Moses. So one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question, testing him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is a great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Jesus was actually answering by quoting Deuteronomy 6, verse 5 there. And so, you know, he was asked a question about the law. He could quote the law. Jesus knew the law perfectly. Of course, he is he's a lawgiver. lawgiver. Uh, the, apparently, what I understand, Josh, is that uh, th- these scribes would debate the they, – they like to debate the relative weight or importance of different root laws – uh, and 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 they would they would actually scale them. This is more important than that. So, I think we've learned well to not try to do that. If it's a rule, if it's a law, if it's a command of God, then do it. And don't be trying to say, well, this is more important than that, and so forth and so right. on. Yeah, God's word is truth, so we need all yeah. of it. We need to yeah. listen to all of it. Yeah, but if you think about the what, the answer to that question, although it it, it should that lawyer should have known the answer already. But but if you think of that, that really covers all the bases. And it, you it know? does. So loving God means doing all things right relative to him. And loving you as my neighbor means I want to do everything right relative to you. That covers everything yeah. if you think about it. Yeah, how, how uh, you know, that's the shortest answer, to, but it's got the broadest meaning, I guess, if you put yeah. it that way, yeah. that he could have given. Yeah. Uh, I have to think that there's some people in our religious world today who would say, what do you mean commandment? Are you, are you crazy that we, there's commands that we, we're talking about commands here? 
don't forget who's being questioned here. Jesus was asked about commands, which is the greatest command in, in the law. And Jesus did not say, oh, commandment keeping. Forget about that. That's a, that's a faulty notion that, that, that we should have, that we should even try to keep commands. Just, just be a loving person and be sincere and genuine and don't worry about the commands. Jesus did not say that. In fact, uh, there's so much stress throughout the New Testament, or really throughout the whole Bible, on the importance of knowing what God commands and doing it. First John 5, verse 3. First John 5, verse 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. How do you, sh- how do you love God? Love God. This is the love of God in keeping his commandments. You can't say you love God and then disregard his commandments. Right. I looked up John 14, verse 15. Jesus himself said, yeah. if you love me, keep my commandments. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, uh, again, thinking about John, what John said in 1 John. We just read 1 John 5, 3. Look at 1 John 4, 20. For just a few verses earlier, Jesus said, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? So, again, an, an, another stress on you, you, you need to uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you need to love your neighbor. And in fact, if I can't love you, Josh, and you're right here, and I mean, I, I mean, we're personally in the same room. If I can't love you, I can see you. How in the world am I going to love God who I can't see? Yeah, and Jesus even talked about that. You're not going to be able to accomplish that. Yeah, exactly right. Um, Kent says. Uh, the question that was asked came from a Pharisee. One would think that the Pharisees would have had enough, would have had enough of questioning our Lord on, on the first time around. However, while no doubt they were glad that he had put the Sadducees to silence in this context, they sought to trap him in a logical contradiction regarding his teaching regarding the Old Testament law. Rather than contradicting himself, he not only answered the Pharisees, he demonstrated that the two greatest commandments were loving God and loving one's neighbor as self. Christ went on to state in John fourteen fifteen that one truly loves him, one would keep his commandments. And that in verses 23 and 24, he affirms that his commandments were not his exclusively, but also the Father's. Thus, he put the enemies of truth to silence. They're really good. Uh, Grant says, we must put God first in our lives and show our love for him by keeping his commandments. John fourteen fifteen. This includes loving your neighbor as yourself. All right. Really good. Okay, we got one question left, and actually, this one I think also is, you know, what, what's interesting to me, uh, Josh, is that these questions are very pertinent to the day. These are 2,000-year-old yeah. questions, and they still are important questions for us to know the answers to as well. I think you're right. I mean, there's a question about our government. People say, oh, our government's doing things I don't agree with, and yeah. should we pay taxes to them? I mean, is that even something we should be doing? So, yeah, I think it... I think it Absolutely pertains to what's going on today. All right. So let's go to this last uh, text, Mark chapter 12. And again, there's a lot more questions. And, and my plan is, Lord willing, that we're, we're going to cover another six or eight questions that were asked of Jesus next week in the Virgin Bible study. Because I think these are important for us to, to consider. But in Luke, or excuse me, Mark, Mark chapter 12, verse 14 it says, uh, wait a minute, I've got that wrong. I'm getting my page open to the right chapter here. 12:14, Mark 12:14. When they were come, they said, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man, for thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them. So here's here's another one of those instances where Jesus could see this was this was an entrapment effort. Now, if you think about this, you can see how they thought they had him on the horns of a hopeless dilemma, <laughs> as as Kent said earlier in his in his email comment. If he answers, no, don't pay taxes to Rome. Then they're going to turn him into the Romans for teaching insurrection. Right. But if he says you should pay taxes to Rome, then he's, they think they can pit him against the people who hate Rome and hate paying taxes to Rome. So they think they've got him where, right where they he, – he, either way he goes, he's going to be in trouble with somebody. 
Uh, Jesus is going to get out of that, of course. And, and we remember the answer uh, as he gave it there. Uh, he said, bring me a penny that I may see it, or newer versions will say a denarius, a denarii. And they brought it, and he said unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So, uh, you know, they, they didn't get him. They thought they could trap him, and they, and they weren't able to do so. You know, this is really, as we said, I think really a, a pertinent question for our day. Because we do hear people say, Josh, well, our government's doing a lot of things that I don't agree with, and they're using tax dollars to fund them. I think one that just really stands out in my mind, and I think in a lot of people's mind, is, you know, there are tax dollars going to promote abortion, which is the most horrible and appalling thing that you can possibly imagine killing unborn babies millions upon millions of unborn babies have been killed and our government has not only endorsed it but funded it in many instances and so obviously i don't pay a lot of taxes because i don't have a lot of money but but a a a fraction of what i've given and it would be a, a fairly small amount but some fraction of what i've paid in taxes has gone to kill unborn babies. And I hate that. And I really do hate that. And so my response might be, I'm just not going to pay taxes. I'm going to, I'm going to not pay taxes if they're going to use the taxes that way. Well, this, this episode in the life of Jesus just destroys that notion altogether because as corrupt as our government is, they probably don't hold a candle to the corruption that existed in the Roman Empire. And so, the, Jesus didn't say, well, well, don't pay taxes to them because they're a corrupt government. He said, pay your taxes. Pay, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And so Jesus was basic, Jesus was basically there excusing us from any responsibility in regards to how our government uses the tax dollars they receive. Yeah. Well, you know, God's fair and just. And so he, he you know, hold, holding me responsible for somebody else's actions is, is not how he handles things. But a Christian is going to be the best citizen. They're going to be the, you know, the best friend, the best neighbor, everything. And so here, they're going to be the best citizen, yeah. uh, and they're going to give uh, their due to those that are in power. And God put the people that are in power. He's the one that placed them there in the first place. We're supposed to submit to them. Yeah. Grant in Franklin, Tennessee, says Jesus is teaching that it is lawful to pay taxes. In Romans chapter 13, verse 6, he instructs us that rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing and therefore he says paying taxes to them is is a a right thing to do uh kent in georgia responds by saying the question raised by certain pharisees was a disingenuous attempt to catch christ in a contradiction while they made a true observation that christ was uh, that christ was correct and that he cared not for men they were insincere and thereby dishonest in what they really thought about the lord christ the Lord Christ turned the tables on these hypocrites and demonstrated their dishonesty earlier in Matthew twenty one twenty three and Mark seventeen twenty seven. His response pointed out that they really did not want to know truth, but rather they only desired to catch him in a contradiction. He responded in a masterful way by pointing out that one has dual obligations to both God and civil government. Paul argues the same thing in Romans thirteen, beginning verse one. The concept of civil government is of divine origin and thus has the right to be financially supported. However, if there's a, if there's a conflict between God and civil government, we must obey God rather than man. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. I think you're exactly right, Ken. And I think that's a, a good thing to observe. There is always that caveat. Um, but uh, so if the government, let's say I was a doctor. And the doctor and the government commanded me as a doctor to perform an abortion. Then I'd say, no, I got to obey God rather than men. Right. But this paying taxes thing, Jesus took that out of that realm and basically said, pay your taxes. And, we, and, and, and therefore, we don't have to ask, what are they doing with my money? Yeah, they'll be accountable for their, exactly. their choices. We'll yeah. be accountable for ours. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Well, those are some great questions, a Q&A with Jesus. As we said, we're going to give you, we, we, we don't often do this, but we'll give you a heads up next week, Lord willing. We're going to take several more questions. Be watching for our update. Uh, 
couple of comments in the chat room from Dwight. He says, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, as we pointed out, John 14, 15. That is so important. Uh, and then he says, we will not be held accountable to for the actions of others, including the government. And I think that's right uh, in regards to this t- paying taxes question. All right. That's our study for tonight. Josh, thanks so much for stepping in, filling in, uh, helping out in our study tonight. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Appreciate you asking. And Kyle, thanks as always to getting the, getting it on the on the airwaves. I guess it's not really airwaves. It's it's all those little cyber things scooting out there in cyberspace. But yeah, thanks good. for getting them sent out. It was good to be here. All right, we appreciate you. Lord willing, we'll be back next Thursday night, same time, same place. Plan to make it a regular appointment to join us for the virtual Bible study. As Jacob always says, in the meanwhile, read and study your Bible every day. Live by it. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast 